You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Of course, as always, I am your host, Charles Hammaker, here with you. The weather might be overcast and dreary, but I am sunny and clear as there's a ton of exciting news in the Seattle sportscape and stuff that probably will drop by the time that this comes out or while we're airing slash recording, which is always fun. You know how much I love, not really, uh, when news drops during the middle of a show. So it's, it's, there's a lot of good stuff happening. You know, we've gone through weeks where things change and, you know, there's a ton of negative news, whether it was Bobby Wagner getting cut last year around this time, Russell Wilson getting traded, all that sort of stuff, Pete Carroll leaving. This is a good week. I say this is a good week all around from all the teams that we cover. And not only strictly from the teams that we cover, but in terms of the events that are going to take place here in a few years. So we'll get to that, of course. But as we always do, we'll start with our Seahawks first. Um, and before we get to the major news that happens with the Seahawks, there was a few other things that happened in the week leading up to it. Three Seahawks were added to the Pro Bowl this year, which was essentially just flag football, which uh, take it as you will. It's a little bit disappointing considering where the Pro Bowl used to be and what it used to be. Um, DK Metcalf, Nick Ballore, and Geno Smith were all added to the Pro Bowl on top of the three names that were already there in terms of Bobby Wagner, Devon Witherspoon, and Julian Love. So six Seahawks in total were part of the Pro Bowl. Uh, it's nice for those guys to get, you know, have that on their resume and, you know, to be a part of that. Uh, but otherwise, you know, it's it's kind of departed from where the Pro Bowl has been in the past. Uh, and, and, you know, the sort of what prestige that it had is now removed. Um, <laughs> from there, we go to the major news of the week for the Seahawks. The search is over. The Seahawks have their new man. It is Mike McDonald as their new head coach. The Seahawks go from the oldest head coach in the NFL from Pete Carroll at 72 years old to the youngest in Mike McDonald at 36 years old. McDonald spent the past two seasons as the defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens, having been with the Baltimore organization since the year of 2014. Um, and was Michigan's defensive coordinator in 2021. Former players of McDonald with the Ravens have had nothing but good things to say about him, uh, calling him a wizard. There's a lot of talk about his defensive schemes, whether it's, you know, former line, well, not former, but Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. So uh, there have been a lot of good things said about McDonald, not only from his former team, but also from around the NFL as a whole. Uh, you know, with different coaches having positive things to say about him. The Ravens wanted to keep McDonald as their defensive coordinator, but the report is that he wanted the Seattle job badly and it didn't seem like they were going to be able to stop it from happening. The Seahawks were going to look at Ben Johnson, uh, Lions offensive coordinator as well, but Johnson uh, pulled all of his his head coaching eligibility essentially and decided to stay with the Lions, uh, <laughs> doing so much so that he pulled out of that while the Washington Commanders were in the air on a plane going to meet with him in person, which did not make them very happy. Um, 
The commanders did have an offer on the table for McDonald, but Seattle reportedly had more money involved with their offer. It's a six-year deal for McDonald, obviously keeping him through his uh, age 42 season. So that's big news. It's big news. And so, you know, with the head coaching hire, there's news about filling out the rest of the staff. And that happened the next day. That was on February 1st. The team hired McDonald. The next day, they added Leslie Frazier as their assistant head coach. Leslie Frazier, obviously a legendary head coach, continuing to do his thing. He started coaching way back in 1988. That is well before I was born at Trinity International University and began in the NFL in 1999. He was the Bills defensive coordinator from 2017 to 2019, remaining on the Bills staff from 2020 to 2022 as an assistant head coach and a defensive coordinator, um, a defensive uh, assistant, I apologize, um, with the Bills and has been a mentor for McDonald in the past. And now he will join his staff uh, and help that uh, Seahawks tenure start off well. So it's big news. We finally have an answer. I guess I picked well uh, for our thumbnail for last week's uh, segment for the Seahawks. If you go back and look at that, it was Mike McDonald. So I guess I picked well. But this is exciting. I mean, you know, you look at the Seahawks, their defense has struggled for years. You know, since those real last few years of the Legion of Boom and its existence, there's been talent on these defenses. It just hasn't necessarily been put in the right places to succeed. You know, whether it was switching to a 3-4 defense, you know, and a new uh formation change different schemes different coordinators throughout the course of the years you know clint hurt being the most recent one he has gone to philadelphia to be their defensive line coach uh talking about the coordinator shane waldron's in chicago with the bears so uh, obviously schneider john schneider general manager and mike mcdonald have offensive and defensive coordinator positions to fill mcdonald did say that he does plan to continue to call the plays on defense which i mean considering how things have gone for the ravens it's not a bad thing um but those are two important hires to make you know the head coach is only one step of it um but this is, is i mean it's exciting right you know it's a new era uh, for the Seahawks so long it was Pete Carroll and it's kind of weird to not have Pete Carroll as the head coach of this team it'll be weird when we get to the first game and he's not on the sideline um, but if you wanted to move forward considering the roster that you have an exciting young roster looking at just on the defensive side of the ball with Devon Witherspoon you know um, Boye Mafe had a good season Julian Love made the Pro Bowl uh, Tariq Woolen, uh, Reek Woolen, pardon me, just completed his second year in the league. So there's a lot of exciting pieces for this team, and you don't want to waste it, you know, by kind of staying in the same routine, staying stagnant. You want to move forward. You want to progress forward and maximize that Super Bowl window. The Seahawks are looking to do that with Mike McDonald. There were reports that came out this morning that the team is bringing in Jay Harbaugh, son of uh, Jim Harbaugh. I apologize. Uh, I always get the Harbaugh's messed up. Oh, Jay Harbaugh is going to join his dad in L.A. with the Chargers, but it seems like that's changed and he's coming to Seattle uh, to become their special teams coordinator. So there's one coordinator position filled out, obviously need to fill the defensive and offensive positions as well. Uh, but there's one new move. So it'll be interesting with the news as well today uh, that the University of Washington uh, football team is hiring uh, Bill Belichick's son to be their defensive coordinator. There's going to be a Carroll uh, a relative of Pete Carroll, a Harbaugh and a Belichick all coaching in Seattle uh, this upcoming year, which is a little interesting, uh, just considering the legendary ho uh, coaching tenures those families have. But uh, that's a report that hasn't been finalized as of yet. Um, I could say that and then it could be happening right now. Nope, not yet. 
so we'll we'll get to that but uh when that happens but obviously mcdonald's the big move leslie frazier is going to be a big ad as well in his defensive mind so having the defensive minds of mcdonald and frazier should turn things around and again just talked about it a bunch the pieces on the defensive side of the ball and what they're going to be able to do maybe in free agency and through the draft as well so that's exciting again you've got to feel good if you're a seahawks fan at least at this current point in time you know, the offseason only means so much when you get to the reality of things in the regular season and hopefully postseason. Then you start to see how much these coaches are bringing and, and the metal and so so much and so forth. But it's an exciting time right now, at least, to be a Seahawks fan and have something to look forward to, you know, and the potential of what this defense will look like going forward. So it'll be very interesting to see if Seattle makes any sort of coordinator hires by the time that we get to things next week uh next monday which would be the 12th i believe if i can count yes it would be the 12th um there have been a few interviews taking place uh for the offensive coordinator position for the seahawks one of them being um there's rumored interest in former university of washington offensive coordinator ryan grubb who went to join Kalen DeBoer at Alabama. He could be headed back to Seattle. That is a rumor that there was interest there. We'll see if that has any substance by the time we see you next week. So that's all we've got with the Seahawks. Again, like very exciting. Looking to see those different coordinator hires. With the Mariners, more exciting news here. I know at the beginning of the offseason with the Mariners, it was, you know, a lot of frustration with the 54% comments at the end of the year press conference, uh, trading away fan favorites like Eugenio Suarez, Jared Kalnick. Were, there were three trades this past week, and all of them made Seattle better. So we'll get into it first. Just hours after last week's episode aired, the team added infielder Jorge Polanco uh, from the Minnesota Twins in a five-person deal. Uh, so the Mariners received Jorge Polanco. If you're unaware with uh, who Jorge is and his background, he's a 30-year-old hitting 255 with 38 runs, 18 doubles, 14 homers, 48 RBIs, and four stolen bases across just 80 games last year, uh, getting a little bit of hit with uh hit with the injury bug, uh, dealing with a left hamstring strain during the first half of the season. Um, he is a switch hitting infielder, which would big for the Mariners. You know, they've dealt with so much with the lefty and right-handed matchups, um, hit well on both sides, has played third base as well. Uh, but as far as we're aware, and we've been told the plan is for him to play second base and really lock down a position that the Mariners haven't had consistency in uh, since Robinson Cano was here. And that's a decent amount of time previously. Uh, as mentioned, he did miss some time last year. But over the last 25 games that he played from August 26th to September 29th, he posted an 878 on uh, OPS with six homers and 19 RBIs. The four foot 11, 208 pound product out of the Dominican Republic was named an all star back in 2019 and has appeared in parts of 10 MLB seasons during his career. He's a career 269 hitter with 112 homers, 447 RBIs, and a 780 OPS across 832 career games. Uh, again, this is exciting because the Mariners lock down that second base position, but. With trades, you got to give something up. The Mariners send relief pitcher Justin Topa, uh, right-handed pitcher Anthony Descalafani, who they acquired via trade earlier this offseason. Uh, prospect out, uh, Gabriel Gonzalez, nicknamed Gabby, and then other prospect Darren Bowen. Bowen and Gonzalez, both folks, uh, prospects that Mariners folks had a lot of excitement for. Gonzalez, a lot of talent in the outfield. 
spent the last year in high A ball with the Everett Aqua Sox. Bowen excited a lot of folks as well uh, in low A with the Modesto Nuts. Both of them gone, again, with trades. These things got to happen. Whether you consider it an overpay or not, the Mariners solidify that second base position. Obviously, there's some injury history with Polanco, but this is exciting because, you again, that consistency in second base is something the Mariners haven't had for years, uh, and you continue to round out your lineup. The very next day, they made another trade. Uh, they sent a player to be named later or cash considerations. We don't know yet. Um, for infielder slash outfielder Samad Taylor from the Royals. Taylor made a name for himself from his MLB debut when he hit a walk-off homer against the Angels. So there's some excitement there if you're uh, looking at in-division stuff. He's a 25-year-old making his MLB debut this past year, as I mentioned. Uh, he does have minor league options, so if he doesn't ultimately break um, the MLB roster out of camp or if he does and he has to go back down, there is that option, thankfully. Um, he's a 5'8", 160-pound rookie, went eight for eight in stolen base attempts. So there's a lot of speed on the bases there as well. In AAA Omaha for the Royal system across 89 games, he batted 302 with 65 runs scored, 23 doubles, four triples, eight homers, 55 RBIs, 66 walks, and 43 stolen bases. So just looking at that, you can see a little bit of what the Mariners want, the versatility, getting on base, you know, being able to steal bases, talking about that versatility. He's appeared defensively at four positions for the Royals in left field, second base, third base, and center field. He's played six positions in his professional career, only having not appeared at first base, catcher, or pitcher. So, I mean, if you know the Mariners and you know the type of players that they tend to bring in, you know, that super utility player, you think about Sam Haggerty, you think about Dylan Moore, those guys uh, there's a few more in the past that we could go over, but those are guys that Samad Taylor looks like in terms of what they're able to do. And this is an example of that. So that was just the second trade of the three this past week. The third, uh, another exciting one, you know, you lose Topa in that deal to acquire Jorge Polanco. You get some uh, relief back in Gregory Santos. On the third, the team acquired reliever Gregory Santos from the Chicago White Sox. He's only 24. So he's a young reliever who's already established himself a little bit, making 60 appearances out of the pen for Chicago in 2023. Uh, five saves in a 339 ERA with only 17 walks and 66 strikeouts. The righty averaged 98.8 miles per hour on his fastball, ranking in the 98th percentile for qualified pitchers via baseball savant. Uh, you know, you look at some of these numbers. He only had a 1.5 barrel percentage in 2023 on opposing hitters. That's in the 100th percentile via baseball savant. Uh, across three major league seasons, he's uh, spent it with the Giants from 2021 to 22. And then most recently with the White Sox this past year. He was really originally signed by the Boston Red Sox as an international free agent out of the DR on August 28, 2015, but was traded by Boston to San Francisco in exchange for infielder Eduardo Nunez on July 26 of 2017. As a, uh, again, with the trades, something's got to go back. The Mariners sent reliever Prelander Baroa, outfielder Zach DeLoach, and the 69th overall pick in the 2024 draft. So, <laughs> there's, I, I find it a little bit funny because some fans are unhappy with the returns, you know, whether it's Baroa, Deloach, Topa, or Gabby Gonzalez. I understand it, you know, 
those guys, I had a lot of fun watching Gabby Gonzalez. Prelander Barroa is exciting, particularly coming out of the pen. We saw a little bit of it with the stuff that he's got coming out of the bullpen for the Mariners. Con some control issues there. But we'll look at we'll look at the trades here because, I mean, Samad Taylor with the player to be named later or cash considerations, we don't know what those are yet. I mean, we can't really make a judgment on that trade until we learn about that and see Samad Taylor's impact overall. But looking at the Polanco trade, again, you get an established second baseman and can lock down that position. It's one less area of need that you need to worry about. I understand that Justin Topa ate up a lot of important innings for you this last year, but he was a guy that the Mariners were able to find off the scrap heap relatively with relievers, and they've been able to do that the last few years with this pitching staff um, and the coaches with Pete Woodworth and co. Uh, so, you know, I understand it. But again, as I mentioned a few times, with trades, something's got to go over. With the Santos trade, you look at Prelander Baroa, Gregory Santos is what you want Prelander Baroa to be, and you got him now, and he's established. You got to work on his fastball a little bit. He's got a great slider. He's got great velocity. And as I mentioned, he's already been doing this. He's got that control down Baroa. He's exciting. I know I hope nothing but the best for him. He's got to work on his control, though. That's why we didn't see him more often for the Mariners at the big league level this year. Deloach, I mean, he's got some excitement as well for a Mariners position player. The strikeouts were a real problem for him, especially at the AAA level that he was at last year. So I'm more than happy with it. Again, the only things that look uh, maybe a little bit unsolidified for this Mariners lineup right now are left field. And that's kind of iffy because you've got guys, you got outfielders right now who can play left field, but it's not necessarily for certain uh, who's going to start there the most of the course of the year. And then third base, whether it's going to be, you know, Luis Arias or Josh Rojas, it could be either one of them. They could platoon it. You'd like to get some, you know, consistency there and uh, have a for sure option. But, you know, that's been the big key is, filling these holes for the Mariners this offseason. There was a lot of struggle because, you know, it became more and more apparent that the resources available to president of baseball operations, Jerry DePoto and general manager, Justin Hollander, were less than they had initially hoped going into the offseason. Um, that's its own whole discussion. But regardless of that, they've made these trades to make it work. Your farm system is young. It will get better with the players you already have. And then with the international signing pool that you've just got, that gets bigger and bigger, it seems, over the last few weeks. So I'm not too worried about it. You know, the Mariners have done better over the last decade or so with their minor league system. I feel fine with it. You're going to have to make these trades anyway. And if you want to win now, you have to make these sorts of trades. So to those who are worried about it, live a little, please. Be a little bit more, you know, in the now especially if you want to win now. We're not looking at a Mariners team that's rebuilding. This is a roster that wants to win now, even if it is young with guys like Julio Rodriguez. So I'm more than happy with it. You know, again, I'll hammer it home once again. Trades, something's got to go back. You know, you're not going to get a fleece every single time. But, you know, I think they, Justin Hollander and Jerry DePoto made the most of the current situation and made this team better. It is better than where we were at when the offseason began, and I'm happy with that. So sorry to get all excited about it. Speaking of excitement, uh, pitchers and catchers report for the Mariners in 10 days on February 15th. The full squad appears five days later from that on February 20th. We are 52 days away from opening day at T-Mobile Park against the Boston Red Sox. So it's exciting. You know, uh, 
I've talked about it a few times throughout the course that we've been here at Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Baseball has been my first love. My dad, you know, instilled that in me, whether that's for good or bad with this Mariners organization. Uh, so it'll be exciting to get guys going back. And again, with the trades that have been made, going back to the real side of the show, uh, it's exciting to see where this team will be getting a guy like Santos out of the pen. You <laughs> Having flamethrowers in Santos, Munoz, and Brash out of the pen is exciting. You know, for the Mariners, not necessarily for opposing pitchers. So that's exciting. Speaking of the excitement, it continues to roll on as we move on here to our storm. There might be more stuff with that. It hasn't been confirmed yet, but the Storm account has been teasing it, and sources are saying that it is in the works, but we'll get to that first. Uh, we'll get to that later. I apologize. There's other things that happened over the past week that we need to address because it's uh, it didn't look so positive on paper at first. So back on the 31st of the, uh, January, the Storm made a major trade, sending forward Kia Nurse and the fourth overall pick in this year's WNBA draft to the Los Angeles Sparks in exchange for a 2026 first round pick. So if you look at that on paper, right, ignore anything else, any other context or any information that you've gathered now and think a first round pick you're not going to be able to use for two years for a veteran forward and the fourth overall pick in what could be one of the most talented drafts in WWE history. You think, what the hell is Seattle doing? You know, but we'll give some context to this because, you know, obviously context is always important. There's always a bigger fish going on. Um, Kia Nurse had a pretty decently sized contract. The Storm had to get rid of it. It comes at the cost of the fourth overall pick. Not ideal necessarily. Again, it could, depending on who declares for this year's draft out of the college, um, you know, Cameron Brink, Caitlin Clark, Paige Beckers, there could be a ton of talent coming into the WNBA this year via the draft. It depends, though. Not all of them are for sure committing to this year's draft. Uh, so it could be a wild card with the value, the true value of that pick. Um, but it's still it's still a valuable asset. And the storm sent it away. Um, as I mentioned, they had to do so. They had to get rid of that pick in order to dump nurse's salary. They do get a first round pick out of it in a few years, which is nice. First round picks are always nice. Um but again, a lot of folks were like, why is this happening? Why are you sending away a veteran forward and the fourth overall pick? With that trade, the Storm opened up two max contract slots so they could sign two really big name free agents and two veteran slots. Um, that came to fruition when on the 1st of February, the, the first day that WNBA free agency was open, they signed Skylar Diggins-Smith to a max contract. Uh, Diggins Smith is, you know, one of when healthy and when she's available, one of the best guards in the WNBA, a true floor general. Uh, she's set to begin her 10th WNBA season this year, having proven herself as one of the best point guards in the league, posting career averages of 16.7 points, 4.9 assists and 2.9 rebounds per game. In addition to 1.3 steals per game, she is one of just 10 players in the league's history to score at least 4,200 points and record at least uh, 1,250 assists, doing so in just 251 games, 45 fewer than the next closest player. In each of her last five seasons played and six times across her career, she's finished in the top 10 in both scoring and assists. She's one of just three players in the history of the league to rank the top 10 in both categories at least six times. So this was a big deal. She joins 
former Notre Dame teammate Jewel Lloyd, where she played her se senior season with a freshman Lloyd in 2012 to 2013. Uh, the duo posted a 35 and two record, um, including a perfect 16 and 0 mark in Big East play and reaching the NCAA semifinals. Uh, I mean, there's more. I mean. It, I could keep going about Diggin Smith, but then we just kind of continue to ramble on. Uh, she's a five-time gold medalist while representing USA, most recently in the 2020 uh, Tokyo Olympic Games. This was a big get when we were at exit interviews and even after the last game of the year for the Storm, there was talk about adding a point guard and adding firepower next to Jewel Lloyd. This knocks out both of those to an extent, and you still got a max contract deal that we'll talk about in a second um, that may or may not be confirmed. I got to check that in a second. But again, this is a big deal. You've got one of the best uh, combination of guards to start in the WNBA already. You know, and there's still the rest of free agency to go forward with. We're only a few days into it and the draft, which you still got picks in the draft. It's not the fourth overall pick, but you still have the ability to add some young talent as well through the entry draft. It's a big deal. Again, you knock out the point guard. That's something that Seattle wanted to add an established point guard and star power to get back to the playoffs, to get back to title contention. And you do that with Skylar Diggins Smith. Uh, really quickly, uh, before I talk about that other uh, piece of news, on February 4th, Jewel Lloyd was named to the USA's Olympic qualifying team uh, for the upcoming Olympics, which is exciting. You know, again, Jewel Lloyd, the talent that she is, having signed a two-year deal at the end of last season, re-upping on Seattle, showing her loyalty to the city, uh, continuing to add to that resume and looking to represent the USA on a national state, on international stage, pardon me, not just national. Um We'll see if it's confirmed. I don't imagine that it is quite yet, but reports uh, tell us that uh, Neka Agumake, forward Neka Agumake, who we've talked about two weeks ago, oh no, it was just last week, who had a visit here with Seattle, had limited uh, her favorites to Chicago, Seattle, and New York. Uh, Chicago, I mean, Neka wants to compete, wants to win now. Chicago's not in the position to do that right now. She ruled out Chicago this morning, and she is reportedly finalizing a deal to join the Seattle Storm. So that would fill up your two max contract spots. Again, we go back to it. I had so many people, why are you trading the fourth overall pick? Why are you trading Kia, Kia Nurse? So you, you could add Skylar Diggins-Smith and Neka Agumake. Chestnut checkers sometimes. I, I'm more of a checkers guy myself. I'm not that smart. Um, <laughs> so that's not finalized quite yet. But sources do tell Circling Seattle Sports that that is in the works as of right now. Um, and that would be big. You've got a starting five of Skylar Diggins-Smith, Jewel Lloyd, Jordan Horston, Neka Gumake, and Ezi Magbagor. You can't help off of any of those players. And then you've got talent like Joyner Holmes, Sammy Whitcomb, Mercedes Russell coming off the bench, let alone players like Jade Melbourne who have been performing excellent over in Australia this offseason. Uh, this WNBA offseason, I apologize. So it's exciting. Again, we've got to get that officially finalized first, but it, to our, per, our, per our sources, that is being finalized right now. That might happen by the time this comes out. We'll see. But that's big. I mean, this immediately moves Seattle from being one of the worst teams in the WNBA last year record-wise to an immediate contender. You know, you still got to fill out the rest of the roster. You're likely looking at an 11-player roster, the max uh, roster size is 12 players in the WNBA, but I mean, this is an immediate, this is a big flip 
you know, in terms of where you were going to be rebuilding after you learned that Brianna Stewart was heading to New York and not re-signing here in Seattle after Subert retired. So <laughs> we're just through, was it three segments now? And I mean, it's been really exciting. We get over uh, to the Sounders and it's, it's not as big per se, but there's still positive momentum moving forward with the club. Uh, they continue their preseason over in Spain and have got into their preseason friendlies. Um, there is a few going on over the course of the past week, three, three technically in total, the first two being scrimmages, um, the first two against a, ooh, this is tough. First two against a club from Spain uh, was a 1-1 draw. There was one goal, goal score, uh, Coma Defiance player, Georgi Minogu, uh, scored in the 34th minute. So they split 120 minutes into two 60-minute halves. The second scrimmage was a 2-1 win. Dylan Tevez scored in the 23 minute, 23rd minute, assisted by Leo Chu. And Albert Rusnak scored in the 60th minute, assisted by Jordan Morris. Then we get to the one on your screen, February 4th. Uh, I am not going to try to pronounce that. I do not want to botch it. Uh, but the Sounders were able to be victorious in this one as well by a score of 3 to nothing. There were three goal scorers in this one, uh, two of them having already scored previously in those other scrimmages. Albert Rusnak scored in the 6th minute, assisted by Christian Roldan. Leo Chu scored in the 39th minute, assisted by Jordan Morris and Dylan Tevis. Added that third goal in the 90 plus eight, assisted by Danny Leva. So continuing, you know, the preseason, getting in these friendlies is good. You know, starting to see where players fit in, what lineups might look like going into the 2024 season, looking to get back into title contention, obviously. And in somewhat of a new era, obviously new, because as you can see on your screen, we've got the different branding. It's the 50th season in the club's history, so on and so forth. Uh, but just some different faces as well. Obviously, Nico Ladero is in Orlando. So it'll be interesting to see how these lineups fill out and what this new look, quote unquote, Sounders Club will look like. Um, so there's a few notes. I mean, there's not too much that we can necessarily take from these friendlies. Obviously exciting to see Albert Rusnak continue to perform well. Dylan Tevez, you know, is a guy that we were excited about coming out of the University of Washington, of course, uh, as a homegrown player. Leo True, he was a guy there was talks about him potentially moving on from the club uh, to a Brazilian club this offseason, especially with the signing of Pedro de la Vega and having him make an impact already. He's going to compete for his spot, it sounds like. So that inner competition within the club is good, you know, because ultimately, if you get that, we've seen that with championship teams. If you're pushing your own teammates to get better, it can only help for the greater good of the team as a whole. So. There was that on the 31st, the club found out its Leagues Cup draw for the upcoming season. You know, we go back a few years uh, in the inaugural Leagues Cup. The Sounders made it all the way to the championship and they fell just short. Uh, this year, they will be in Group 6 uh, with Minnesota United, another MLS club. Excuse me. And Liga MX club Nachaka. Uh, that will run from July 26th through August 25th. Uh, we don't have set dates for those teams, uh, those games as of yet. Um, but every team will at least play two group state matches. So the Sounders will play those two clubs that we just mentioned at minimum. Um, continuing from that with the more positive news, this is more of the highlight of the Sounders section for the team itself. There's some big stuff besides that. Um, the club officially signed forward Danny Musovsky. Uh, an attacker who had spent the last season uh, with Real Salt Lake. 
in his four-year career in Major League Soccer. He's never been a starter for the clubs that he's been on, including LAFC, but he has been productive in limited playtime. Think a guy like Will Bruin. Uh, he scored 16 goals and added nine assists across 3,000 minutes in the MLS. His deal is through the 2025 season with a club option for 2026. So, I mean, you look at this, you look at the, the forward, the striker position for the Sounders. You've got Raul Ruiz Diaz, who is back healthy for the club uh, and motivated after last season at the end of the season press conference it sounded like there was a mutual understanding between him and the club that he needed to be better and he needed to add more to his performance and then there's jordan morris who is still kind of learning to be a number nine and be a true leader of the attack up top and he's healthy again and he's fully motivated so you've got that and then you've got denny musovsky here who's a veteran who's proven that he can make an impact in limited minutes and can probably be a spark plug off the bench for this sounders club or if worse comes to worse and you need him to start, he can do that. So excitement there. It sounds like the Sounders roster is fully built out and is ready for the upcoming season. Doesn't imagine like there will be any more moves, so to say, uh, before we get to the season opener. So there was that, which is exciting in its own right, you know, for the Sounders to continue their preseason in Spain, continuing to move forward, add a veteran forward up top to finalize their roster. And then yesterday on the 4th of February, there was the 2026 World Cup draw and Seattle found out the matches that will host for the 2026 Men's World Cup. So the, the city of Seattle gets six matches in the 2026 FIFA World Cup, four of them in the group stage from June 15th, 19th, 24th and 26th, one in the round of 32 on July 1st and then one in the round of 16 on July 6th. Uh, those group state matches do include a U.S. men's national team match. So the U.S. will come here to Seattle to play one of their matches in the World Cup when that comes around. Obviously, it's a big deal. The World Cup is the world's game. It's one of the, if not the biggest event in terms of world sports. Uh, and you bring six matches to Lumen Field. There will be grass installed for that. There is new turf going in right now because um, the last turf was on its the end of its cycle, but grass will be installed into Lumen Field for this. Uh, it's a big deal. I mean, six matches is a lot more than I expected personally. Uh, I just expect, you know, with the world event like this and the soccer as a whole, Seattle might have gotten a little bit um, ignored, so to say, but that was not the case. So we've got that and we've got a little fun video for you with the World Cup to look at uh, from FIFA itself. Again, World Cup matches, I can't overstate the impact. And then there's the possibility of the next year in the 2027 Women's World Cup uh, that Seattle can be involved as North America, Canada, the U.S., and Mexico are all involved in the potential of that bid for the 2027 Women's World Cup. So this is exciting. I mean, it was exciting when it was announced that Seattle was going to host World Cup matches. So we'll see more of that uh, in 2026, obviously some time for that before we get there but there's still a lot of build up for that to happen and hopefully we'll be able to see you at lumen field uh for those matches uh hopefully all six but there's a long way to go for that and we've got some work to do speaking of work to do the sounders will have two more friendlies uh before the regular season begins uh february 9th in spain still 7 a.m eastern time that's 4 p.m pacific time uh the last match that they played uh the other day was streamed on facebook it's not clear whether these next two will be so you know if you of course follow us on social medias 
circling Seattle sports on all your social medias to find out that sort of information. Um, against Odense BK in Spain, and then they'll come back to Seattle, come back to Long Acres, their new training facility that will be fully ready by the time that they return from Spain, and they'll play a friendly on February 17th versus Sacramento Republic at their facility. It's not clear if this will be open to the public or streamed. Again, follow us on social media. We'll get that information put out to you when we find out about it. Um, moving over here, <laughs> I know it's all been positive. There's been a lot of excitement throughout the course of the week for Seattle sports in these other segments. Get to the crack. and doesn't start off super hot. Uh, the last game before the All-Star break, the Kraken headed down to San Jose to play the Sharks. The Sharks being one of the teams at the bottom of the standings in the National Hockey League um, and could be one of historically the worst teams in NHL history. Uh, Seattle got shut out by those Sharks by a score of two to nothing. Uh, both San Jose goals coming in the third period. Seattle had chances throughout the first 40 minutes, but just couldn't get the bounce of the puck and weren't ultimately doing enough to get to the net to force an, an uh, a dirty goal. Uh, and they lose to San Jose. They get shut out. Our play of the game normally in shutouts, we don't do players of the game just because of the disappointment of them. But goaltender Joey Decor did his best. 20 saves in this one, a 952 save percentage. The first goal that San Jose scored came through traffic. He really didn't have much of a chance. And then the second goal was an empty netter, so you can't blame that one against Joey. Um, it was just a tough one. It was just a really ugly game. To an extent, it looked like Seattle was already had their minds in Cancun. They were ready to get to the All-Star break. It was Cabo Wabo all over again from last year. Um, just really frustrating. I mean, you look at it, and it, it, it is frustrating because, you know, you look at this team – you know, from their eight-game losing streak in December and then the winning streak that included the Winter Classic and then a little bit of a losing streak again right before the break to a three-game point streak and then this loss. It's, again, I've said it last week. They're nothing if not consistent. They got to figure things out. Uh, we'll shift a little bit of a gear here because, you know, the trade deadline for the NHL is on March 8th. Seattle, from the time that they returned to action from the February 10th to the 8th, you know, those are games that matter even more. Obviously, they matter going forward, considering the points that you need to make the playoffs in the NHL. You're likely going to be a wild card team. You need to make them matter. Uh, Seattle has shown that they can do so. They've shown that they can be a good team. They haven't been healthy all year. They haven't been as good as they needed to be offensively. Defensively, they've shown peaks where they've been really strong and structured. Their goaltending has been excellent throughout the course of the year. That's nowhere near an issue for them this season. Um, it's make or break. Once you get back to things on the 7th of February here in a few days, you need to make these things matter or else this team might be a seller at the trade deadline. You might see guys like Alex Wenberg go. Jordan Eberle might be gone. So, you know, I think this team has it in them to turn things up and make the playoffs, but they've really got to start making things matter and make it last. So there's that to look at. Uh, there's some... Housekeeping things with team-related news on the 30th for Devin Shore did clear waivers and was reassigned to HL Coachella Valley. On the 31st, defenseman Riker Evans was reassigned to Coachella Valley, and some folks were like, why is Riker getting sent back down? First of all, it's the All-Star break in the bye week. The Kraken won't be back in action until the 10th, so it's better for him to go down to the AHL affiliate and get some game time in as opposed to just sitting around and lounging around like a potato. Second of all, he was the Firebirds uh, representative at the AHL All-Star Game. So 
better for him to actually be part of his AHL uh, all-star experience than just, again, having him sit around. There you go. Uh, on the third, though, with the NHL all-star game, which, you know, reserve your comments for how it was as a whole to yourself, um, for Oliver Bjorkstrand did score in the all-star game. He becomes the first Danish-born player to score a goal in an all-star game. And as mentioned previously, back when he was selected, uh, is the third player to a third Danish player to appear in one behind Frederick Anderson in 2020 and Franz Nielsen in 2017. So nice for Oliver to go and make an impact in that game uh, for Team McKinnon slash Tate McRae. Uh, there was a lot of frustration in the player draft that happened a few days before because Oliver, for all intensive purposes, was drafted last out of the player pool and they messed up his name. It was pronounced Ollivander Bjorkstrand, which is not quite his real name. Uh, so just frustration with the disrespect that he had to deal with, obviously. Uh, but nice that he made an impact in the game he played in and now can enjoy the rest of the bye week. So looking ahead, the Kraken sit at a 21 win, 19 loss, 10 overtime loss record, which is good for fifth in the Pacific Division, just behind uh, the Los Angeles Kings, who have kind of hit a free fall since a nice start to the season. They are at 52 points on the year, which is good for two plates, two plates, two points out of the final wildcard spot uh, just behind St. Louis. So as mentioned, the team doesn't return to practice until the 7th of February and their first game back isn't until February 10th. That game is Saturday, February 10th against the Philadelphia Flyers at four o'clock on ESPN Plus and Hulu. Programming note, ESPN Plus and Hulu, you will not be able to find it on Root Sports, so please don't tag me and ask why it's not on Root Sports. We've had that happen before. Uh, to wrap things up with another team that is in the preseason and also has exciting news, again, it's all been good, cracking, kind of meh. Um, the Rain, the Seattle Rain FC, who are in their preseason down in Costa Rica, I you know would love to enjoy some of that sun. My skin doesn't do too well with it. Um, made two signings over the course of the past week, both of them Welsh players. Uh, on the 31st, both on the 31st, the club signed midfielder Angharad James through the 2025 season in exchange for a undisclosed transfer fee to Tottenham Hotspur of the Women's Super League. Nicknamed Haas, H-A-Z, the Wales International joins the club following two years with Tottenham, where she made 28 starts and 33 appearances and earned just two assists. Before playing for Hotspurs, the 29-year-old spent two years in the NWSL, with the North Carolina Courage and New York, New Jersey Gotham, uh, and then also with the Orlando Pride. The Haversford, Haversford West native has been a star for the Welsh, Welsh national team since 2011, where she made her debut at just 17 years old. Since then, James has appeared in 102 matches for Wales and became the youngest Welsh player, male or female, to earn 100 caps for the country. She has scored four goals for the national team, including a goal against Estonia in the 2023 FIFA World Cup qualification matches. She was named as the Wales Women's Player of the Year in 2017, as well as Young Player of the Year in 2013 and 14. She's not a copy-for-copy -copy defensive player that Emily Sonnet was, but she is more of a holding midfielder and can play along the defensive back line as well. So again, for all intents and purposes, she is like the club's replacement for Emily Sonnet and will feature likely like Sonnet did last year. 
the other signing that day to make it three Welsh players on the rain roster to include uh, James and Jess Fishlock was defender Lily Woodham uh, from Reading FC. She signs a 2000 uh, deal through the 2025 season with a one-year mutual option uh, for 2026 in exchange for an undisclosed transfer fee. Woodham joins the reign after playing for Reading since 2018, most recently serving as their captain uh, in 2023. The 23-year-old defender has totaled 84 appearances and recorded two assists for Reading, uh, delivers a hell of a cross and great service as a defender. In 2019, she spent a season on loan to Charlton Athletic in the FA Women's Championship before returning to Reading and earning a starting spot on the squad. Prior to playing for Reading, she began a professional career in 2017 with Bristol City. On the international level, the defender debuted for the senior national team in Wales in 2020 and has totaled 11 caps for the national team. She tallied one goal for the cl- uh, for the team, striking against the Faroe Islands in the UEFA Women's Euro 2022 qualifying matches, uh, also bringing experience with the youth national system for Wales with the U-17 and U-19 national team uh, sides. So uh, the Wales national team jokingly tweeted out that the Ukraine is now the Welsh Mafia, which is kind of funny. Um, but these are, again, there was a few weeks ago where general manager Leslie Galmore said that the fans of the club really shouldn't panic as much, that there would be these signings. And we've seen it now with Ji So Yun, uh, Lily Woodham, and Angharad James. So it's really nice to see that kind of fill out. These are established veterans, established internationals that are going to come in and make an impact. All three of those that I just mentioned, whether it was Ji So Yun, whether it was Angharad James, uh, or Lily Woodham are all going to join the club upon receipt of their visas. So we've got to wait for that visa process. Um, But it was nice to get these deals all set up before the 2024 season was able to fill out. So those signings were made official. That's what we've got. The club has been going through their preseason down in Costa Rica and did have a friendly, but we weren't able to get any news about that friendly from the club or as well. So, that will wrap things up for uh, this past week in Seattle Sports News. Again, the excitement of Mike McDonald signing as a Seahawks head coach and the different moves that were made previously from there. The Mariners uh, making a few trades over the course of the past week. The Storm signing Skylar Diggins-Smith and hopefully adding Neka Gumake by the time that you see this or maybe you know in the next few days. I would hope that gets wrapped up sooner rather than later, of course. The Sounders signing Danny Musovsky and continuing with their preseason in Spain. The Kraken, you know, nice for Oliver Bjork trying to score in the All-Star game, but looking to get back into things this Saturday. And then the Rain adding two players uh, through transfers this past week as well. So until we see you next week, you know, take care of yourselves, be well, and do whatever you can to make today a great day. Media produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents.
Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.